Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Paul M., Gordon S., and Cindy W. Jim Sykes is on the show today. Jim is the CEO of Baseload Energy, a uranium-focused exploration company with projects in Canada's Athabasca Basin. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol F-I-N-D and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol B-S-E-N-F. Jim is also Vice President, Exploration and Development at Epia Energy. Jim, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Andrew. Glad to be here. I forgot my favorite drink, though, so I'm just sipping on water. Yeah, you better grab that in the meantime here while I'm talking. Well, Jim, news and views on the uranium market here. I think uranium is poised to explode. And you know, this is not just me saying this. I've seen other professionals and people who are not just in the, the mining side of things, but people who are on the supply side and who investigate it, and they're all saying the same thing. But now is the time to be into uranium, is the time to invest in uranium because it is coming back. I think we are seeing the signs that utilities are starting to come back to the market and signing these long-term contracts. I do believe that in Cameco's last quarterly call, they kind of alluded to that, you know, didn't come out right and say it, but there definitely was that that subtle note that this was happening, and that's huge news. You look at some of the people who are uh, producing uh, producing the fuels, uh, the enriched fuels, and you know, just looking at their stock their stock charts, they're jumping, they're they're going up quite a bit this past year. So uh, to me, that is all indicating that things are on the up and up. That we are looking at uh, nuclear. Uh, uh, Uranium, uh, uranium turning back around and getting getting out of the doldrums that it's been in for almost the last 10 years. Looking at some of the fundamentals that exist in this space, in you can you can make this direct comparison to what was happening between 2003 to 2006 when spot price uranium just went through the roof. You know, it went from 10 bucks to 100 bucks to over 100 bucks a pound on the spot market. We're seeing the same fundamentals. What it really comes down to is just basically it's simplistic supply demand and the <laughs> demand is there demand hasn't gone anywhere it's increased if anything especially with a lot of the chinese reactors coming online it's just it keeps going up and up but the supply is not there and it's even the situation now is you know much more drastic on the supply side than it was back in 2003 2005 because back then you had you had a number of countries producing, you had Australia producing, you had Africa, you had uh, <clears throat> the States, Canada, Kazakhstan, all of these countries had meaningful production. Who's producing nowadays? Well, Kazakhstan's curtailed their production. Chemicals down to one operating mine in Canada, that's Scar Lake. The States aren't producing much, if anything at all. Africa's not producing much, if anything at all. Same with the, the Aussies. So you've got all of these all of these ex-suppliers that have just curtailed or stopped their production total and they've been buying off the spot market simply because it, it just makes sense for them and so it's kind of a, a strategy to dwindle out what's out in the inventory in the world and i think it's it that has created this scenario now that i think we're going to see a, a pretty good return on on the uranium market especially on uranium investments this like i said this is where this is where I think investors need to be in the space right now. Uh, you can look at gold and say, yeah, gold's going to go up to 2,000 bucks an ounce or 2,500. That's not a return like you'll see in uranium. If uranium goes up to 60 bucks, 50 bucks. That's basically 100% return right there. That's you know that, that's big news. That's huge. So that's yeah, that's my personal personal take on the uranium market and where we're going. Yeah, no, good points. Certainly, we were a fan of it. Uh, we have a lot of uranium exposure. Meanwhile, we're over also with uh, gold and copper and, and some other things in the meantime that also have a, a very substantial uh, situation as far as the equities are concerned. 
don't give a damn about the uh, physical uranium ownership. Um, if you're going to be in the uranium market and you're going to take risk, you have to own the equities. And quite frankly, the physical funds and the majors don't cut it, in my view. Uh, but I think, you know, people should don't be impatient, keep the faith, keep the capital. That's been critical um, as this has dragged on for, as you know, a couple of years. And the key is really patience and continuing to keep capital ready for deployment and, of course, deploy it at certain times. And we've had lots of opportunities in the sector to continue to uh, accumulate. And, of course, there's been a little bit for everybody, too, Jim. There's been uh, people have been able to trade. Um, others have been just able to accumulate the paper and not offload one share. So I think there's a lot of good things coming um, on the supply front. Fantastic setup. Forget about demand, but just the supply side destruction is, is fantastic. Yep. And uh, at this price level, they're between a rock and a hard spot. Do we buy in the spot market and uh, illiquid, higher prices, or do we try to restart some mining operations? Chemicals in between a rock and a hard place. I would say it's fantastic to buy spot material in the 20s, but spot material 35 plus GNA plus maintenance, carrying maintenance. You know, for Cameco, it may not work so well as they figured out and decided to restart Cigar fairly quickly, which is fine. You could get on it. And, but I think that's interesting too, because of the finances at 35 uranium spot market, uh, that's a little bit tough to go in and buy without holding your nose a little bit. So, well, let's talk well, before, before, sorry, before we just hit on baseload, I just want to kind of continue this, this whole theory and everything, this where the market's going to go. Because we're living in a whole new world too. Like we can't just make the direct comparison back to 2005, 2006. We're living in a completely changed world in which the electrification of things is huge. What are you gonna What are you gonna power electrified, you know, electric vehicles? Where are you gonna get all that energy from? What about Bitcoin? That's that's insanely energy intensive. So we're coming into a world where our electrical demands are are poised to go up and skyrocket. Are we gonna meet it with renewables? I don't think all of it. There's, I don't think there's a scenario in this world that should not include nuclear energy in this. It's proven that nuclear energy is by far one of the safest and definitely one of the most greenest energy sources out there. And it's dependable baseload energy. So with renewables, yes, it's intermittent. They're, they have their place. They have their place in the whole scheme of things. But I don't think people want to see their lights go off or worry about, oh, when's my when's my power going to come back? You don't have that worry with nuclear energy, really. It's just there it is. So the future, with the advent of small modular reactors coming online, that's huge. And advanced advanced fuels. Uh, this is an industry that has grown. This is an industry that has developed, and it will continue to do so. And this is. This is what I see as the future is is nuclear energy, and so you know we're not just going to ride this this little supply curve or you know supply deficient curve right now. This is going to continue this trend, and nuclear energy should always be in favor. Now we can talk about baseload. <laughs> nuclear is obviously the the baseload solution without a doubt. Renewables they have some place, but they're not the solution at all by themselves, and. I think we also need grid solutions. I think one of the things that the weak link in energy, I think, is also the grid solutions. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at uh, power lines above ground, you look at uh, fires in the West and the United States as a result, some of it as a result of poor forest management practices. And you know that there's certainly those issues that have happened. And there's a lot of work to be done on the grid and how you come up with solutions that are better uh, for distribution of power. Fully endorsement. It is. Yeah, full endorsement of nuclear on this side. Absolutely. Well, just before we get into baseload, maybe recap your thoughts on climate change versus pollution. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, being a geologist, I believe that climate change is a naturally occurring thing. We've seen it through, we've got records of it through hundreds of millions of years where you know, the climate change is based on uh, volcanic activities, shifting of plates, um, things like that. You know, we are in, sure, we're in a glacial period right now, officially, but we're on the swing out of it. So naturally, you know, without any human intervention, the world was naturally going to get warmer anyway. This is, this is not something new. This is, you know, well-documented and known. You know, have we kind of expedited that whole process? Uh, Possibly, you know, probably, but I think the 
as we were talking about earlier, I think the term that uh, I think gets confused is not really climate change, but it's more pollution. Now, humans, yes, humans are societies where we pollute without any second thought. And that has contributed to a lot, but I think that's what we need to fight. You're not going to fight climate change. You can't fight Mother Earth and you know turn it back to glaciation periods. That's not going to happen. 10,000 years ago, uh, recorded in Greenland ice is this massive burst of CO2 emissions that you know, it wasn't just a burst and went away it burst and then it stayed there and this has been recorded and, and documented anthropogenic sources back then were nothing there was no anthropogenic sources 10,000 years ago so what caused this massive CO2 burst honestly don't know I haven't documented it myself but the fact is it's there that's climate change that is natural no, we can't fight that. All we can do is ensure that us as human beings, as the species, can do our best to not pollute in our efforts going forward in whatever we need. So we're, you know, we fabricate and our world, we're going to see more populations coming, which we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to address all of that. And people want to live, uh, the, the blue collar lifestyle in all of these nations so you've got more advancements more developments so for us to move forward the best thing we can do is try to make sure that our you know our impact on the climate is basically zero and that's fighting pollution that's not fighting climate change that's fighting pollution yeah, I agree. And there's a lot of issues with getting there as long as, as there can be some sensible actions to make sure that happens at the same time. Preserving freedoms, I think, is also a key piece. And I think it can be done, but it's a delicate dance. You can't take it too far. And I think people are starting to see that if you take it too far, we're screwed. But we could talk about this all day. Let's talk about Baseload. Talk about the idea behind the company. Whose idea was it? And why did you decide to lead it as CEO? So basically, the idea was the brainchild of our chairman of the board, Mr. Stephen Stewart. Uh, he's got a couple other companies on the go through the OreFinders platform. Uh, it's a group of five companies, Baseload being one of them. He had the foresight uh, for a few years now to get into the uranium space because he saw the potential that existed there. But he didn't want to just get into, into the uranium sector as one of these plays that, hey, look, we're in uranium, come invest in us. Uh, he, you know, he thought this through. He was looking for the right guy to lead the charge, uh, somebody who's got experience and has made discoveries, and can, you know, do the same thing for for baseload. And that's where he, you know, he looked at a lot of people and came to me in the end and said, you know, we think you're right for this position. At that time too, I was, you know, looking for an advancement in my career as well, and just thinking that, yeah, this is, you know, I love uranium. Um, I am huge on uranium and nuclear energy. I'm all about power and everything. So I thought this is you know, this is perfect for what I'm trying to achieve in my life. Uh, just some more discoveries to help this world grow. So I thought perfect opportunity. I also saw that you know, now's the time to be uh, invested in uranium as well. So there is that, uh, that financial opportunity for myself as well. But the chance to make yet another discovery, uh, especially for baseload, is huge. And that was something that I could not turn down. So one of the things that we had uh, planned kind of going forward is let's not be every other company. Let's be something else. Let's be something unique with, uh, with a good story behind it. And so a lot of my thinking for the past few years, which really started coming around as of, I guess, 10 years now, after a seminal paper by uh, one of my ex-bosses, Bill Kerr, and uh, another contractor that I worked with, a uh, consultant, Mr. Roger Wallace, who had made many discoveries in the basin back in the 70s. This guy's a living legend. Uh, yeah, they came out with a seminal paper just showing that why are we still exploring in the sandstones? Why are we not really putting a huge emphasis on the basement discoveries? And it spoke, it spoke a high volume to me. So with that thinking, that's kind of what I've been approaching for a while now. And sure enough, you can see a lot of these basement discoveries having a key impact or or more of them being discovered. You look at Fission's Triple R, Next Gen's Arrow, Denison's Griffin. You know, these are all substantially sized basement hosted deposits. So it is a wonderful theory to pursue. And that's that's what I brought to the baseload side. 
but also uh, also some unique ideas and interesting exploration plays that I think do fit this out of the box type of thinking. Uh, specifically, you look at our shadow property. Man, it's a beauty. I love that thing. That's uh, that's got me really excited for our upcoming drill season. I think there's so much potential there, but it's one of these areas that has never been explored ever. There's been no airborne survey over it, uh, aside from a little bit of, of regional regional coverage by the Geological Survey of Saskatchewan and Geological Survey of Canada. Uh, there's been no boots on the ground at ever. No one's ever looked at this area. But when I started looking at it, there were a couple things that made me focus on that area to begin with. Uh, one being just a chain of radiometric anomalies. But then once I started looking more into it, just the structure in there, it really popped out and it just it blew me away. I showed the same thing to other geologists who are all at first like, oh, it's, I don't like that area. You know, your story's kind of weird. And then I showed them the my thinking behind it all, and they've all said the same thing. Yeah, that, you know, that makes sense. I can totally see where you're coming from. So I'm I'm very confident that I have uh, kind of my my peers' approvals as well that this is the right type of play for for discoveries. So yeah, that marriage between Stephen, who's a financial guru, you know, the guy with uh, the foresight to see that uranium is coming back into play and to get base load up and running, and then myself being having the technical expertise and you know, about 500 million pounds of uranium to my name, uh, indirect and direct, of course. I can't take credit for everything, but it's, I, I know, this is my passion. This is what I do, and this is what I want to continue to do. I've got a self-imposed goal that I want to reach a billion pounds of discovery, U-308 discovery. So that's, I think, uh, baseload is that step forward that can help me do this. Now, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that. And I want to talk more details uh, in a moment on the projects, Jim, but let's let's go back to the main structures, talk about capital structure of the company, if you would, how that is set up currently, the major shareholders, your share ownership, and cash on hand. So we completed a raise back in October, and you know, it, was, it was a great raise. We we basically filled out our subscription. There was we couldn't take any more subscribers, unfortunately. So we had to turn some people away just uh, because we we're we were limited by the uh, by the securities exchange, and that's you know, such as life. But it was very happy to see all of that come in. Uh, we're very happy with the retail support and institutional support into Baselook coming in. So we raised three million. We had 0 0.5 in the bank before that, and it set us up perfectly to get the ball rolling on this company. Uh, we formed in June of this year. Uh, we listed publicly in June of this year. And so this is, you know, it's been a nice, nice ride on the way up. Our share price has appreciated quite a bit. Uh, we're sitting around 40 cents as of today as I speak, uh, but we've pretty well, we started out around 10, 20 cents. We've even gone up as high as 80 cents. This, I think people really like the story. Like they love the company. They love uh, they love everything about it. So this is, I think it's a great ride. And it's not just a marriage of uh, the technical and financial side, but also our retail investors. I know a lot of these guys have followed my career and they've got a lot of faith in me. No pressure, hey? <laughs> but uh, you know, these are the guys that that I want to give back to. They've followed me for so long. They've supported me, and the best way I can do this is is by making a discovery. So that's what we're that's obviously what we're all about, and that's what we're going to be pushing forward. So so yeah, nicely cashed up for it. Can't wait to get that moving. On the because of that raise, we're now sitting at about uh, 40 million shares outstanding. Uh, good situation. So we don't have a lot of shares out, and we're tightly held about. 45% of the company is owned by uh, Quebec Copper and Gold. It used to be Power Ore. Uh, Power Ore was basically the company that vended the MAN project to us to get us listed on, on the TSX. So Power Ore is still a big insider. Uh, company insiders, we're at about 5%. So almost 50% of the company is held by what I would consider to be insiders. So uh, yeah, nicely tight held situation in that regards as well. When you look at the other 50%, I'd say about 35, 40% of that are the retail investors. So there's that, there's that big following. There's that, that um, almost going to say a cult following. It's kind of scary in a way because I had a teacher back in high school say I'd make an excellent cult leader. But uh, so we, we've got a lot of, a lot of backing behind us. 
And I love the retail side because a lot of these people, again, having having that faith in me, these aren't the guys who are going to sit there and, and sell right away. These are the guys who are going to hold and be patient and understand that success doesn't happen on your first drill hole. You know, it might take a while. It might take a season. It might take a couple years. That's the reality of exploration. You can't always think you're going to be successful right off the bat. It'd be nice if we could. But these are the guys who have the faith in me and know that I will do the best that I can to make that discovery uh, in a timely fashion. I'll try to do it as quick as possible if it's there to be found. So, and then with the institutional side, uh, this is, you know, these are guys that we will hopefully again, be on the ride with us for for quite a number of years, but hopefully be able to, you know, maybe even pass on the word or get some more institutional side on the go. As far as my compensation, I think I'm very nicely compensated. Uh, I've got over a million options at some very decent, uh, very decent prices. So I'm extremely happy with that. Uh, I, I am getting a monthly pay now, and just because a lot of my time is more focused on on baseload, I still do some time for Appia, but getting baseload up and going is is a very high priority. Where does management own most of their shares at as far as cost basis? And then can you just speak to your expiration and GNA burn rate? Can you just talk about what you guys are currently burning and, and really talk about how far the current cash will carry the company? Yep. So most of the, well, a lot of the managers and myself included, uh, we got a lot of shares in at five cents and 10 cents. So we're all very happy with that and looking to hold on as long as possible. It's a great share price to be in. But we've also all come into this last financing, which was done at 26 cents. You know, we all very firmly believe in this company and we're putting our own money into it as well. Burn rate, because we're new and we're still getting established, we don't actually have that large of a burn rate right now. I would have to assume that on a yearly basis, we're probably going to be on the on the upside of around uh, 250 to 400,000 a year. But one of the things that we do get, because we are part of the, the ore finders group, that we do share a lot of infrastructure and also personnel costs with with a lot of these other five companies, which you know, the same people are invo involved in all of these. So there is that cash sharing opportunity as well. Uh, basically on baseload side, I'm the only one who's who's not involved with any of the other, the other four companies. I'm strictly focused on baseload and that's where I should be as well. And Jim, on the expiration side, what's the expectation as far as, you know, cost for the next uh, field program? Yeah, so exploration wise, we're, we're, you know, we're moving everything ahead. Uh, all of our permits are in place. Uh, hoping to get hoping to get some of our first permits back for doing the gravity work by the end of this month. Now we can start doing a gravity survey. For that, I've got budgeted around two hundred dollars to $300,000, and it's quite an extensive survey, but that is something that I certainly need to move forward with on, on Shadow. But going into, going into the winter, we are looking at doing a drill season. You know, because this is our first, our first exploration uh, project, uh, we do have a lot of overhead costs, such as putting in trails and, and putting in camps, so it's a lot of establishment costs, which can, and all the equipment that we need that can run us upwards of half a mil to maybe even uh, 600,000. So that's, you know, it's quite an intensive uh, establishment cost, but it's something that is necessary. To get drilling, you know, in, in the basin with uh, with the amount of experience I have there, I can assume that we would run probably 300 bucks a meter all in cost. That's uh, that's personnel, that's assays, that's the drill cost per meter, that's everything included, food, fuels, you name it. That's 300 bucks all in cost. So if we're doing a 5,000 meter drill program, uh, we can anticipate 1.5 mil. With all that added up, we're still we're still quite capitalized to continue the ball rolling after the winter drill season. So we're not you know we're not in any great need to do any additional raises. Uh, if you know if, if a large if a large institution comes in and says, hey, you know, we want to inject a certain amount of cash and, you know, it's a hefty sum, we're not going to turn that away. Well, I'm just saying that we don't we don't need to right now. We're very cashed up to get us into the summer even. So things are looking very good on that side. And we're, my intention and has always been is to put as much money into the ground as possible. That's why I've, I've, you know, I've got everybody's support on that, obviously. So that's what we're going to try to do. And cover the key people you've got at Baseload. 
Oh, on the technical side, yes, myself. And we actually just uh, we just hired a project manager. He's got five years of experience working in the uranium industry as well, up in the Athabasca Basin area, uh, Mr. Cameron McKay. So very happy to have him on board. And between he and I, I just in a lot of the conversations we've, we've already had, uh, we share a lot of ideas, uh, great guy to have on board. So I think we will definitely uh, blend together very nicely. On the financial side uh, and the administrative side, back in Toronto, again, we've got Stephen Stewart, who's our chairman. Uh, the guy's got a lot of experience in, in the markets and, and running public companies. And then our, our board, basically, uh, Mr. Charles Beaudry, who is an experienced geologist, very successful. Uh, he's actually, he was one of the proponents for, for staking our hook property, which ended up being our, our second property. Uh, he's uh, he's got a lot of knowledge in the in the Athabasca air, Basin area. He's actually worked on the the Hook Discovery back in the 70s, uh, which is a high grade. It's a high grade uranium showing at surface over 40%. Uh, so he's loved that ever since then. And now is time for for Charles to get back into the uranium space and get back to Hook. Uh, we've also got uh, Mr. Gautam Narayan. He's you know, He's got a lot of capital markets experience, uh, also geology experience, but uh, he's one of our directors, but uh, he's another one of these guys who is part of all of the all of the companies and just a lot of education and uh, value knowledge about about the markets and and even where uh, where baseload moves forward. And some of our other directors, uh, Alex Stewart, Michael Mansfield, uh, these Alex being our lawyer and, and Stephen's dad. Uh, he's also got a lot of experience on the legal side and and running companies as well, uh, publicly traded companies. Been very successful. Michael Mansfield with uh, uh, International Securities, which is a, a large large fund uh, institution. He's got the experience on that end of things, so great access to capital as well. So we're we're a very tight company. There's not a lot to us, and in all honesty, to move us forward, we don't we don't need a lot. Talk just briefly about you've got the hook and shadow exploration properties, and obviously shadow is is more the focus at the moment. Uh, can you just cover the arrangements that you went through to obtain those, and then talk about the deal with Power Ore at the time, and with them owning a substantial amount of shares, do you see them holding the shares long term, or will they start coming into the market? Uh, touching on that one first with Power Ore, well, I guess Quebec Copper. That's Quebec Copper and Cold is. Gold is who they've changed to. The the deal behind that is that their shares are all in escrow, and apparently they've uh, they've become uh, they they become off escrow, I guess, in tranches. So over a three-year period, I think six six different tranches. So yes, in that regard, they will be a key holder. And as Stephen has indicated on many occasions, he's got no intention of of uh, QC copper and gold to to get out of baseload at any time. Obviously, unless if the share is booming, uh, say we make a discovery and the shares just go through the roof, then yes, rightfully so. That's you know, That could be an exit point for, for them to get out of. But until that happens, they are a very long-term and meaningful holder and supporter of the company. On the shadow side of things, uh, that's, no, I, I can't speak enough about it. There are videos that I that I've well, a video that I've done. It's available on the Baseload website that I encourage everybody to watch. Whoever's listening to this, if you haven't seen it already, it just gives my kind of in-depth view on what really gets me excited about the property. And I can make some, I can make some very detailed analogs to other deposits in the Athabasca Basin, most notably uh, Key Lake, uh, Arrow and then also the Eagle Point whole system there and, and Sioux Lake. So that's, you know, you're looking at over 500 million pounds, uh, over 800 million pounds of, of, excuse me, uranium analogs. So we've got what I believe is the potential for a vast number of discoveries. It's just a matter of being able to realize those. Uh, by the time this probably goes out, I will have another video up on there just describing uh, the structure elements and looking at the MT server that we completed on Shallow Shadow, and it's it's brilliant. You know, there it's such a great structural play. When you're looking for uranium, you got to find the fluids. You can't find fluids in rocks that have not had 
fractures or structures. So that's the key for finding any any uranium deposit. You got to find those structures. And shadow is just it's ripe with them. It's gorgeous. So uh, it, you know if you can't tell by the excitement in my voice, I really want to get out there and start drilling this baby. It's got so much potential going for it. And I think if if we can make a discovery at shadow, it changes the entire face of exploration in the Athabasca Basin because we are we're about 50 kilometers outside of the Athabasca. Uh, some of our target areas and that's nobody's ever really explored out there it's always been thought that you can't go too far outside the Athabasca but there are good reasons why I think that you can and that will actually be another video that I have coming up which would kind of be a, a part two of the web the one that I'm just about to post and it's there there's just again there's so many things going for it it's, it's such a great unique property that I think was completely overlooked never considered and it's I'm, I'm really hoping that we can prove our thesis right, that there is just you know, not just one discovery to be, to, be, to be found there, but you've got three potential areas. And those are only the areas that just popped off when I first started looking at the geophysics. After doing some more detailed investigation, there are other areas that definitely need a lot more love, care, and attention to that could also host more mineralization. So this is a project that I can see us being active on there for at least three to five years. and once we get this first drill season done, we'll have a much better understanding of what is going on, what is the potential there, and I just think it's I think it's huge. I think this is going to be a, a golden egg for baseload. And we've got our Hook Lake property, so over on the east side of the basin, again, still following suit with this, uh, with the basement, the basement rock analogy. And that's, the reason behind that is because we just simply don't want to get into the sandstone. Uh, it's, this has been proven since the 70s and even 60s you can make a discovery in the sandstone and they don't go into they don't go into production. You look at Cigar Lake, which was discovered in, uh, I think it was 1976 or, yeah, I think it was 1976. Didn't go into production until the, uh, till around late 2000s, 2010-ish. And that's 30 years, 40 years from discovery to production. Investors don't want to wait that long and I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to wait that long either. So, Getting something in the basement rocks is where we believe that you can get, if you make a discovery and it's sizable, we believe if it's shallow enough within 200 meters of surface, you can open pit that. As long as the, the grades are there and simple mineralogy, that can be open pitable. And that's what we're looking for because we know the big dogs as well. You got your Camacos, your Rio Tentos, Ranos. I would almost be willing to bet that's something they would jump on in a, in a heartbeat. So Hook Lake represents another one of those, those exploration strategies and that we're adjacent to the Athabasca Basin edge. So at one point we do know the Athabasca Basin did cover that area. And looking at looking at some of the, the preliminary structures and preliminary geology in the area, it looks like this is another area that could be uh, ripe for ripe for discoveries. There's a aeromagnetic trend that I can follow. Uh, it's a north northwest bearing trend. That I've always looked at, and I, I've always had this conception that it had something to do with the formation of MacArthur River, and that trend continues right onto right onto the Hook property, and it's even in line with that Hook Lake showing or the, the Hook showing, which you now 40% at surface. Hook showing is it is oriented parallel to that magnetic uh, magnetic uh, anomaly, so we think that. We think we've got the right ground there for a uranium bearing system, for uranium bearing faults and, and veins. But there's, you know, to add to that, we do have uranium boulders and radioactive swamps in the area, which have never been fully investigated. Uh, the property was worked on quite a bit in the 70s and 80s, but not really much so much after that. <clears throat> so there's, there's an extensive amount of historic information that we have access to. And it's you know, it's quite awing at times, just trying to figure out uh, what's actually going on in there. So that's an ongoing project that we're trying to do. Now with Cameron on board, that's uh, yeah, this should expedite our ability to to really get hook under control and see what our next steps are. Obviously, we want to get out there in the summertime, which would be great uh, to follow up on some of those boulders and get our own eyes on there, see what the potential is, and having. Uh, having a more advanced airborne survey over the property to help us differentiate some of the some of the rocks out there which 
help delineate where we want to explore first, both on the ground and follow up with any additional ground geophysical surveys, but also with the diamond drill, yield truth finder, as I like to call it. So for hook, you're looking at something that's more towards surface. Over at shadow, you're looking for more of the uh, basement hosted deposits. Is that correct? They're both basement hosted deposit. Shadow, again, okay. is about 50, 50 kilometers outside of the basin. So we are looking for something near surface. And you know, as I mentioned previously, one of the things that led me to the shadow area were radiometric anomalies. So basically you're mapping out uh, you're, you're mapping out surface showings with radiometrics because radiometrics cannot penetrate more than three feet deep if you're if that's if you're lucky most of the times you're only seeing uh, a foot vertical depth so there are radiometric anomalies out in that area that i think definitely deserve some some follow-up but there's one anomaly in particular that has me very excited which will be on this uh, part two video that i that i plan to get done soon that shows how that, that key lake or that the key target area that I have picked out, it's it's right along one of these, one of the stronger radiometric anomalies on the property. So we may not be looking at something deep, but we may be looking at something that could be shallow. And that's that's really what I hope that is there. There's a lot of overburden in the area. There are there are areas of outcrops. Now we know that the geological survey of Saskatchewan has been out there, but those are north and south of where we are actually looking, where we are looking to to target with our drill and, and ground gravity surveys. So where we are looking is covered in overburden, which would be hard for any radiometric survey to pick up anything there, unless they're surface boulders, which you know, could have their own bearing, but I'm looking for, for the guts of this whole thing. Okay, and so your preference would be to find conventional open pitable Absolutely. Uh, rather than deep underground or ISR type yeah. setup. Talk about the timing here and how you guys are going to go about this. So we've still got stagnant market conditions. What's your thought process on being careful about discovery during these market sentiment lows, which we've seen discovery that uh, has been limited capped upside due to bear markets and low sentiment? How are you going to handle juggling, advancing the projects, not spending too much cash, and at the same time trying to time the market with some kind of discovery, obviously, to appreciate the maximum potential? Because as you know, I think in a bear market, discovery can be severely cut down. Yeah, you make a good point. I agree with you. However, there are a couple of, couple of analogies out there or comparisons that I can make that show that uh, the right discovery can be quite, quite rewarding to, to a company, especially in this bear market. You look at next-gen energy, you know, we made that discovery back in 2014, which was probably some of the lowest of the lows that we saw at the time. And you look at them now, they're two bucks plus, so they've appreciated quite well. Uh, you look at another another company owned by next-gen ISO Energy, who've also made some very nice high-grade discoveries, and their price, their share price is the highest they've ever seen. So I think I think now, um, even though we're still in a bear market, I think shareholders can be rewarded quite uh, quite significantly, and, and the company as well with share appreciation. <clears throat> but I, I like I said, I do believe that this is uh, this is kind of an inflection point. We're on the upside swing of things now that the uranium market is is turning around. And I think this is the the right time to really make a discovery, so that we're we're not behind the eight ball on it. We're we're right where we want to be, so that when you know, when anybody who doesn't have their eye on uranium is, and they hear that, oh yeah, uranium's the place to get into. This is what investors want in because the share price is booming, or sorry, the spot market's booming, and uh, all the fundamentals there look great. And the investors who are not in the space see that. They're going to do their due diligence. They're going to see, well, who's out there? Who should I invest in? It'd be great to have a discovery at that point, especially something that looks like it could be open pitable, where mining economics would trump anything that is underground. Uh, that's that's something that would bring more investor attention to us. But I do think NextGen and ISO, we're a holder of ISO, but I think they've been limited significantly. What, a couple hundred percent? <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, I'm not putting that down, but look, we can go over to, we can go over and get that in gold. I mean, silver, $12 to $28 just this year, 800%, 1,000%. Right. <laughs> so I, the problem is, is, is I look at this and I, there's always that carefulness about 
not getting too far ahead because as you know, Jim, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think you guys, maybe you guys do plan to delineate a large discovery through your properties and you guys plan to build a mine and do it all in the same cycle. Maybe that's your plan. I don't know. But the trick is, is, you know, how do you be careful about making sure that the sentiment is there because we're on the cusp of sentiment improvement, I would say certainly within the next year or so. Maybe two years if you want to extend out. I don't care. Two years, one year isn't not relevant to me. But I think that really both of the companies you mentioned, we follow both of them. Of course, ISO is a position, but I, I do think that they've they've suffered as a result of the timing. And I look, we can't be perfect, but I think you've got a great situation where you guys are purely explorer and you have a discovery potentially coming. Uh, maybe not, but most likely yes. And I'm just curious to see how you guys want to go about that because You've been, you know, at the forefront of these recent discoveries in Athabasca with NextGen. You got to see what happened. And look, it was a great move, but I think it was really, really capped. True. Yeah, I, I will definitely agree with that. And yes, it was capped and you know, NextGen could have gone a lot higher. And yeah, it's just unfortunate. But without that discovery, where would NextGen be today? And where would ISO be today? Just be floating around just like everybody else and waiting for the market to turn. Whereas now they can still be a little bit more aggressive and uh, have a lot more going for them. True. And they have, yeah, they, have rewarded, they have rewarded their shareholders. Yeah, I think they have. And, you know, ISO will see. I mean, ISO, I think when it came out, uh, was over a dollar when it first started out. You know, it's above that now. But uh, so it's been a wild ride. But, you know, I'm just curious about that because you guys aren't a development company. And you don't have to move into that development company Correct. stuff yet. So I, I certainly wouldn't be in a hurry. But at the same time, you guys do want to see that share price get elevated. Obviously, to raise capital at higher prices makes yeah. a lot of sense. It is a bit of a real juggling strategy. It's tough. Exactly. It's tough to get started. And it's walking that fine line, yes. I guess that's that's where we're not going to go. You know, we're only looking at 5,000 meters to start. This is not, you know, we're not looking at... Uh, exploration program where we're going to pump in 10,000 meters. We're going to go crazy with two to four drills to to try and make a discovery on shadow right away. We're going in there. We're going going to explore. We're going to see. We're going to see our thesis holds. We're going to see if there is potential for success on the property. And again, same thing with Hook. Uh, we're not you know, we're not aiming for these massive massive uh, projects right off the cusp. Again, because we do know what the market is like. Yes, as, as you've completely described, and you think you definitely nailed it right on the head there. Uh, it's We're in that bear market still. Yes, we could be on the cusp, but we do have to be wise and careful with what we do with our exploration dollars. Obviously, one of the key things that we don't want to do is dilute. That's We don't want to sit there and just go out and raise as much as possible every you know, at every turn of the turn of the year. So... We want to make our exploration dollar go that much further. Yeah, there's smart dilution that occurs, and obviously that has to do with higher, yeah. you know, building higher highs and higher lows in the stock price, yeah. and that's certainly one of the challenges getting through that. And of course, as you said, a couple of drill holes isn't necessarily going to, you know, it's going to take time to delineate a size. But I do think that that's, uh, you know, part of the difficulty in trying to make this work. I would certainly say that, look, with regards to the big market, you know, we're not necessarily in a price, a uranium price bear market anymore. That's obviously not the case. But from a sentiment perspective, uh, I think we still are hanging around uh, pretty low, but uh, that can change pretty quickly as well. So we're definitely in a bull market as far as the uranium price is concerned. We're seeing higher highs and, and higher lows in the price of uranium. I mean, crap, 17 18 bucks a pound, 2016 to where we are now, I mean, fantastic, but the stocks haven't responded and that's okay, they will, but you're in a very interesting position as a new company, very small market cap, and yep. uh, you guys have some good potential there and, and I'd like to see it come out pretty well and I think you guys have the ability still to pull the strings to be able to make that happen. You look at our market cap, we're at 15 million, somewhere around there. Even if, we, let's say we discovered 10 million pounds, that's not a lot, but even at even at 30 bucks a pound uranium, you know that's lowballing everything. That's a 300 million dollar deposit. Let's say we get valued for uh, maybe even a quarter of that. Well, we're basically our, our market cap will go up four times. And that's a good start. And of course, you know the discount disconnect is, is fairly substantial with just in situ pounds or in the ground. But talk just for a moment though, based on your experience, based on the properties that you have here. 
as far as expectation, what do you see coming out of this uh, project in terms of potential size? Do you guys have a goal in mind as far as how much you potentially delineate in a deposit? What's your thoughts? Oh, for sure. My my goal is 50 million pounds minimum. I'm not going to squabble about uh, anything less than that. But uh, from what I can tell, what would really entice a lot of the bigger companies to start looking at at the uh, you know added deposit for a takeover even, or being something that proves to be viable and economic, I think 50 million pounds is quite reasonable. Something that's open pitable though. If you have yeah. to go deeper, then obviously you need, you need larger. That's So that is my goal. And I don't think that is unreasonable, especially with some of the grades that you see in the Athabasca. If you're shooting at 1% average grade, 50 million pounds is quite small in, in size and therefore will not, you know, will not take a large open pit at all. Let's talk about M&A for a second, the region in Athabasca Basin. Are you open to M&A among peers? in the region and what are your thoughts on baseload expanding beyond Athabasca? Open to anything especially well at this point I'd like to see baseload just move on as you know as baseload uh, not without any any partner or anything like that or us trying to take anybody else over that's uh, we're, we're happy with the way things are right now what what holds in store for the future uh, possibilities wide open but again that's We'll, we'll address that when we get there. Not just stuck in the Athabasca, obviously. You know, we're, we're open to anything amongst the globe, but it has to be the right project. I'm not just gonna jump on something that has uranium. Uh, there, there has to be the right project in the right jurisdiction, with uh, which would make sense to, to shareholder appreciation for the company, and just you know, whatever can drive us forward. But as I've been working in the basin for the last 15 years, I, I know the possibilities out there. And I think that's huge. Uh, you know, we're not opposed to doing JVs. Uh, you know, with some of our properties right now, I would say no, simply because we've got we're cashed up for it, and I'm pretty sure we can stay cashed up for these properties. And and I really love these things. You know, I, I think both Shadow and Hook are phenomenal properties. Uh, I wouldn't want to share any potential rewards with with the JV partner right now. This is that they deserve to be strictly with 100% baseload. Uh, but we could be looking at other properties down the road uh, in in some of the better areas in northern Saskatchewan as as JV potentials with some companies out there. So that's something that we can now uh, we are looking into, and whether it happens or not, it, it all just depends on economics and logistics and potential for discoveries as well. I think I like that approach. It, it makes sense and to start going down the road of the prospect generator model. I don't know that that's uh, necessarily what you guys are intending to do, unlike some other peers that are definitely in the area. Talk just briefly about strategy, Jim. My assumption is you guys plan to have a consolidated set of properties and you guys yeah. are planning to be an explorer and make a discovery get sold. Is that what you guys are looking to do? Not necessarily get sold. That's definitely an option. Like everything else you've just mentioned is exactly that. We want to stay an explorer. We want to make a discovery. That's what we're all about. Uh, are we looking to get sold? Uh, not necessarily. It would again, it would have to be the right, uh, the right position for that and the right company. And just like obviously, shareholders would have to vote on it. So it would be up to them in the end. Uh, but we we want to take this as far as we can. We want to really move this thing and make not just one discovery, but multiple discoveries. So we'll do what we can to, to make that happen. And yeah, like okay. I said, we're, that's, yeah, we're, we're pure exploration. We want to make that discovery. An open pit scenario, in all honesty, I don't think is that complicated. Yes, you're dealing with uranium, but you can find the right people out there who have been in this industry, who have worked on the uranium side of things. Maybe they've worked for Arano, maybe they've worked for Cameco, and they know these industries. I know there's a lot of engineers out there who have all I've been at the mines at some point in their career that the knowledge and expertise on how to move things forward in this space is out there. When you're dealing with an open pit, that's not a complex mining situation, especially when you don't have the sandstone to worry about and you're just looking at basement rocks. We don't have water issues either to worry about. All of our you know, our main target areas in Shadow and and even over at Hook, there's no major lakes that we have to worry about. This is pretty simplistic in my opinion. Jim, Appia is another company that you have that you're involved with that has uranium exploration projects that uh, you also have a high opinion of, given you're the exploration head there and you had uh, quite a bit of an involvement with those uranium properties. What amount of time are you dedicating to these both of these companies? And of the uranium exploration projects between them, 
which ones are showing the best potential? Oh, that's a good question. In all honesty, I love Shadow. It's, you know, I, I like the Appia properties. I really love the Appia, Appia properties, which is why I was very strongly about backing them and staking them. Uh, Loringer is a, is a great property and needs far more attention to it. You know, we've identified some, we've identified some showings on there that indicate that there is uranium on that property. Where? Don't know. Are we seeing the tail ends of a system? I don't know either, but we've seen hydrothermal alteration out there that has shown that it has had the capabilities to move uranium in its in its fluid form. So those are the key elements that I'm looking for, and it's just that's something that needs uh, yeah definitely needs a lot more attention. North Wallston, I've always been been a big fan of, but we need to do something on there. East side, uh, huge fan of that just because there's so much surface potential. You're looking at something that could be another open pit type of scenario would be lower grade, but the the vast amount of potential that is out there, uh, just at surface end of depth, like that's a property that definitely warrants some, some drill exploration. Uh, but right now with Appia, our main focus is on Alsace Lake and Rare Earths. Uh, the Rare Earth market is booming, and uh, in all honesty, I, I can't disagree with that, that logic at all. And Alsace Lake having some grades that we've seen out there, that's, just, that's a wild situation as well. But... Uh, this talk being more about baseload, I just want to keep the focus on baseload for you know for the time being here. I am putting more time into baseload simply because we are a startup company. Appy is established, all of our projects are established. It's uh, that's a situation that can keep itself moving forward uh, without a lot of my involvement in it at the moment. Whereas baseload it needs a lot of attention from me to get to get the ball rolling, you know, to get the word out. Uh, from me, but to to get a lot of this whole thing set up, uh, especially like I said with, with Shadow, we have to develop a camp. We have to get the roads in, uh, permit applications, First Nation consultations, um, spearheading all of that. I mean, great communications with the First Nations. Uh, things are looking very nice up there. And I think we'll have a meaningful partnership uh, in that way going forward. So yeah, base load right now is deserving far more of my time, and we'll. You know, it'll obviously depend on what happens down the road. But um, you know, this is this is what I'm about. I love exploration, so both companies will be getting a lot of attention from me on the exploration side of things. That's that's what I do. Keeps me up, keeps me going every day. And Jim, talk just briefly about First Nation agreements and these uh, two properties. You know, Hook and Shadow with base load. What interaction do you have with First Nations there, as far as the property is concerned? And what are you guys just doing early out of the gate to establish those relationships? Well, for Hook, we haven't done any uh, First Nation consultations yet, simply because we haven't planned any work there. When we do get that ball rolling, though, that is where we will open up uh, all the dialogue with the with the communities and stakeholders in the area, which is what we've done for Shadow. And with, with moving forward with Shadow, uh, we're working out of a, well, we'll be working very closely with a community there that has never seen any type of uh, economic development, such as exploration or anything like that. So this is all new to them. And so we're, we're trying to work very meaningfully forward and you know, listen to everything that they have to say, all of their concerns, uh, especially with the community. I, myself, I was planning to go up there uh, just last week for an uh, in-person community meeting, uh, not just with chief and council, but also with the entire community. Uh, that's, you know, I, I know how important this is, especially since we're working so close to these guys, that uh, they've got a lot of concerns and they should be heard. And you know, part of my job is to maybe alleviate some of these concerns. Sometimes people just have these opinions that you can't get rid of. Fair enough, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I'm not going to try and really forcefully change it. I'll just offer you uh, my opinion and my, my experience, what my experience tells me. So, yeah, we're working very closely. I got a lot of job opportunities. I'm, I'm actually, you know, forecasting to have over 50% of my work staff being from the Turner Lake community. So that's... Uh, uh, that's a huge reap and reward that I think the community can benefit from just having baseload up there and not just not just employment but also you know, we'll be using a lot of their their infrastructure and purchasing groceries and fuel from there um, and any supplies from their community as well so that's you know, we're giving a lot back to the community and then just just having these talks now nice and early 
I think is uh, quite meaningful. We don't have any agreements in place, uh, not just not yet. Uh, I think it's far too early. Again, we I just want to get us established first before we can start signing on any type of exploration agreements, uh, so long as they're all meaningful as well and beneficial to both parties involved. But that's you know, let's just get established first. That's my main focus, and I can sit there and, and look at uh, any community agreements. You know, that's being there. Well. <laughs> I'll give you an example of one thing I'm actually trying to do, and that's trying to get uh, a cell tower up there. And that's so I'm, I'm talking with the local communications uh, provider here in Saskatchewan, just ask tell, and trying to see if we can get uh, cell coverage up in that area simply because they don't have any. Their neighbors have it, but they don't. So with baseload being up there, you know, it's a win-win for both for the company and for the community if we can if we can establish cell phone communications. So these are the kind of things that I'm you know trying to move forward with on on the First Nation and stakeholder side of things. And obviously we've already had some stakeholders in the area who've got cabins around the area saying you know they don't want to have uh, an environmental disastrous type of operation or they don't want to have basically scarring on the landscape, very fair. And so what we're doing is any trails that we have to put in, we're going to follow any pre-existing trails. Uh, we're looking at going across a lake so that we don't put in a huge, huge road access. You know, there's, there's caribou north of the north of the property. So this is something that we also have to be very concerned about and you know, do everything in our attempts to mitigate any environmental disturbance so that we're not affecting any of the, the locals' way of life or any of the stakeholders' way of life, and just so that we can keep everything nice and clean, and this way everybody wins, so that uh, people don't see exploration as being this big cumbersome beast and dirty and doesn't care about anything. That's not us. That is certainly not us. That's, that's not me for, in particular. That's, you know, I, it's, we have to be very socially and environmentally responsible. And that's just the way it is. But it just, you know, again, that's kind of goes back to the whole idea of pollution and, you know, being uh, being responsible for what you do and taking taking the onus on yourself to make sure that, you know, you're, you're not destroying things, you're not polluting. And that's the approach that we have going into this as well, especially into this new area. Yeah, I think that's important to do. Definitely establish those relations early on and good on you guys for, for getting that going. And a little bit of cell phone service would be more useful than packing around a sat phone. So that's good. Well, the company is sitting on a 17 million market cap Canadian today. What do you say to potential investors considering a uranium exploration play in Athabasca Basin? And what do you say at current baseload price levels? I think to potential investors, Baseload is the company that you want to get into. We've got we've got a marriage of the right financial and exploration technical guys spearheading with the company. We've got amazing properties, uh, things that I do believe will have exploration success. And that's to me that's the trick of it all. You can have a property anywhere, and you're not guaranteed success. Uh, we're not even guaranteed success where with where we are now. But the ideas and the logic behind it all all make sense and that's you know we're doing the best that we can to make that discovery and that's what I can guarantee to shareholders is that we're really going to push this hard we're going to push it smart too uh, we're not just going to throw we're not just going to throw our exploration dollars away there's a thesis to everything I do there's a almost a regimented way that I do things and there's a reason why I do them because they've been successful in the past time and time again not just by myself Oh, it's some of my peers who have also been very successful. So we're looking at that. We're, we're also taking unique approaches to exploration that I don't think many people have done either. So that's, you know, it's cutting edge. Uh, I'm an outside the box thinker and that's, that's what I do. I think it's proven to be very successful. There are projects that I've worked on in the past that I've walked into these areas that people said, oh, no, there's nothing out there. Lo and behold, I've made discoveries. They haven't been huge or anything, but it's shown that uranium has been there the right structures have been there so i've taken a lot of what i've done in the past you know through big through big to small and i can put this into baseload i can i can move this forward and with every attempt and every reasonable assumption that we have you know the makings of a deposit on our property so that's where i think the the shareholders will greatly reward themselves from it's just that kind of experience and expertise 
but then also, uh, as we've discussed throughout this podcast, this is the cusp of what we both believe is the uranium price coming back up. It's one of these things where uranium goes up, all of these exploration and development companies go up as well. So we can ride that wave. That's, you know, I, I don't want to rely on that. That's a, that's a bonus. That's a huge bonus that exists. I want to rely on what we can physically do and to make that success happen. And best way for the audience to reach out to you and the company, Jim? Yeah, I'm accessible by email. That's jsykes at uraniumgeologist.com. And you can also call me. I'm available on my phone almost all the time. 306-221-8717. Please reach out. I'd love to hear from shareholders. I'd love to hear from interested parties. Reach out and I'll do my best to reply to you in a timely fashion. Jim, it's been a great chat. I appreciate you coming back on and this time introducing Baseload. Uh, good luck to you and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Great talk.